Hi, everyone. This is Mark Stenson, and you've reached our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. This is the podcast where we really get a catalyst for our creative thinking. We all have ideas, but how do we organize these ideas? How do we market them? And then what are the tools and methods that we need to get these ideas out into the world? And today's guest, we've got a very interesting conversation because once we have an idea for a product, a brand, a business, we have to determine ultimately what is that idea worth? And so we have as our guest today, Bharat Kanodia. And Bharat, just so glad to have you on board. Thanks for having me, Mark. Good to see you. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity. Paperback is at a special price of $5.98, and the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, mark-stinson.com, and enjoy the book. Bharat Kanodia, just so glad to have you on board. And I think, Bharat, as we talk about this idea of valuation and appraisal of an idea, and especially a business, boy, that's got to be, I guess, creative on the one side in all the analytics of it, but it's also got to be a bit controversial because who's to say what an idea is worth. But what's, what's the approach that you use to determine what a business or a creative idea is valued at? Great question to start off with. <laughs> we always like to start right off. Well, you're that not going like, to give me a where song. Was, where was the warm up? Where was the, how are you today? Like, your- like, wow, he really wants to get into it. <laughs> so Mark, I tell people valuation is a dark art in a dark room in a black box. And it's designed this way by people like me, because we like to think of it as job security. Whereas valuations are really simple. Valuations in today's world, you know, we hear about them all the time in the newspaper or, you know, in the magazines or, you know, just Google just said, oh, so-and-so company raised $100 million at $5 billion valuation or so-and-so person sold his business for $18 million. And so, you know, if you talk to any new business owner, you know, they aren't thinking of their business in terms of what that business is worth to a buyer. They are thinking of their business's worth for what they need to retire on. Mm -hmm. Now, I say this because about 60% of the businesses today in America are owned by baby boomers. And baby boomers who are between the age of 56 and 76, they are looking to retire. Some of them have retired, some of them should have retired, and some of them are about to retire. But over the next five to 10 years, there's going to be an influx of businesses that are coming up for sale. And these business owners need to be educated on what business value is and what their business is worth. And that's why I started my YouTube channel to educate such business owners. Mm -hmm. And is it the education because the owner feels so much emotional connection that it's like, well, this must be so valuable because I built it. it. When really, I guess on the other hand, just playing the numbers game, the numbers are what the numbers are, right? Yeah. I mean, one out of 20 businesses actually sell. Hmm. One out of 20. That's a shocking statistic. 
they don't sell, even if they do sell, they don't sell for the asking price. Most business owners think that when they sell the business, somebody's going to write them a million dollar check or a hundred thousand dollar check and they get to walk away. Well, selling a business is very different than selling a house. When you sell a house, yeah, you get a check, you know, you cash it at the bank and you get to walk away, right? Like the dealer at the black check. Mm -hmm. But when you're selling a business, you don't get to just walk away because a business is a living object. It's a moving target. So if you don't take care of your business for a week or two, well, it can go from a hundred to a zero. Whereas if you don't take care of your house for a week or two, well, there might be some damage, but it's not going to break the bank. Good point. And so what, what do the business owners need to consider then? What are some of the arrangements you're seeing? So business owner needs to think of their business from a buyer's perspective. And what do buyers look for? So if you're trying to sell a business where a buyer needs to put in 60, 70, 80 hours a week, well, that's really not a business, that's a job. And buyers aren't looking for jobs. Investors aren't looking for jobs. They're looking for a business. And investors or buyers are looking for two and only two things in a business. And I say this and I simplify this, but just because I simplify it doesn't mean it's wrong. They're looking for one, consistent cash flow. The business cash flow should not be going up and down every year. They should be getting a consistent cash flow or whatever they're expecting. So if they're expecting $18,000 at the end of December, they should be getting $18,000 at the end of December. The second thing business owners or buyers or investors look for, they don't want to do anything to receive that cash flow. They want to sit on their butt, you know, back the chair up, and eat bonbons and enjoy that $18,000 a month cash flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If a business owner can create that in their business, consistent cash flow, and the business can almost run on autopilot, that business is worth a lot of money because a new buyer can run that business by only putting in maybe five or 10, 15 hours a week. It's not a job because if it becomes a job, well, then the business owner needs to exp- make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. So for the seller of the business anyway, to think of an investor, not a buyer, like they're not buying into a job, that's a big mind shift, isn't it? For most business owners? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, but my brand, my business has so much brand value. And, you know, when you look at the books, I mean, you know, they're netting like 5,000 bucks a month. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's really a job. How many hours are you putting in here? Oh, I'm putting in 60 hours. Yeah, that's really a job. That's not a business because Mm -hmm. whoever you bring in here, either that person is going to have to put in their time full time or hire a manager to run it. And the manager is pretty much going to take all the profits. Mm -hmm. So you really haven't created the processes and systems in the business for it to run on autopilot. And if only one out of 20 businesses sell, what are some of the other ways that I assume some just close, they retire and put the, we're out of business. But what are some of the other dispositions? Most of them um, are, they just close because they're like, all right, you know, I have three clients. I'm just going to service them until I can, until I'm alive and until they want me. Or some are transferred within family members. So, okay, I can no longer run this business. I would like my niece to run this business moving forward. And, you know, they don't charge money from the niece. They just give the business to the niece. Or, you know, they come up with some kind of an arrangement that, okay, you're going to give me, you know, 
$4,000 a month for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Something informal, back of the envelope type. But even that never happens. So most businesses just close up. Yeah, I see. So if the listeners of this podcast say, look, I've, I've started a business, I'm working up the business, and maybe I want to sell in five or 10 years, what could you start doing to prepare? Because it sounds like you're running into a lot of business owners who put the for sale sign out and they have not prepared because they really don't know what their business is worth. And so there's a lot of angst and disappointment, I would have only imagined. So let's back that up and say, we're, we're going to have a runway here. What are some of the things that owners should be thinking about? Think of it this way. When you go to a doctor, right? What does a doctor do first thing, right? Check your heartbeat, check your blood pressure, right? Examines you and writes down all your um, diagnostics and all your vitals in a document, right? That's what you need to do to start off with. And that really is what an evaluation is. Evaluation is really a health exam of your business. We're looking at all the vital stats and saying that, okay, this is where you are today. Now, this is what your business is worth today, say $10. Now, you want to sell your business for $20? Okay. We are here today, and this is $20 from five years from now. How do we get there? Now, in year one, this is what you do. Year two, this is what you do. Year three, this is what you do. So unless, so valuation is really not a formal process. Think of it as a scorecard, right? Kind of like giving an exam at the end of the year or at the end of the semester, where how do you know how you did? Mm-hmm. Um, so in my humble opinion, just the way everybody goes for a yearly physical and maybe twice a year after you're 40, everybody, all business owners should be getting a business physical, if you will, and obtain a valuation as in a business scorecard of, mm-hmm. okay, this is what my business is worth today. And if it's worth 100,000, I want to make my business worth 120,000 by the end of the year. Great. Now, how do I make it worth 120,000? That's where I can help you because mm-hmm. I'm the doctor. Right. I mean, if you ask me that, oh, doctor, I got high blood pressure and I got cholesterol problem. Great. Doctor tells you that, yeah, you got high blood pressure, but the doctor can also tell you what you can do to rectify that high blood pressure and the cholesterol problem. So listen to the doctor. Think of me as a general physician. I like your term vital signs, because I think if owners looked at their business and said, this is what the vital meaning essential. And do you see a dashboard of these things? A lot of people, a lot of business owners I know have this number they think they need to hit as if the cholesterol is the only thing they need to lower, you know, and then they aim at that number and get it. And then, whoa, I, I didn't take care of the blood pressure. Yeah. I mean, do you find that too, that some business owners get fixated on maybe it is an EBITDA number or some other, you know, four times revenue or, you know, whatever they think it should be. Oh, of course, you know, because most business owners say that, oh, my neighbor's uncle's wife sold her business for 4X on earnings. So my business has got to be worth 6X. So they just have this arbitrary number in mind and they try to to shoot towards that. It's kind of like me going to the doctor and saying, doctor, my BP is high. Okay, I want to decrease your BP. I'm going to decrease it to 24. Well, how did you come up with 24? What, what, mm-hmm. what is 24? 24 what? 24 bicycles? 
you know, so unless you go to a proper uh, professional, um, you don't know where you are and where you want to be. And the dashboard, which can tell you that, okay, these are three or four levers or KPIs that are important for your business and your business's value. And these are the levers that you pull or push to increase these value. Mm -hmm. So think of it as a business owner sitting in the cockpit of a car trying to drive and, you know, you've got a few levers, right? You've got the steering wheel, you've got your accelerator, you've got your brake, and you've got a combination of all of them, right? Not necessarily you always want to drive the car at 80 miles an hour. Sometimes you need to drive the car at 20 miles an hour. So you don't want your business to overheat all the time. If you run the car at 8,000 RPM, that's going to be a problem. Your car is not going to last very long. That's very good. And Bharat, I'm curious about service businesses versus maybe manufacturing or maybe retail businesses that are really exchanging goods. What about those kinds of businesses that are very consultancy oriented? I think listeners would be curious as to how do you put your finger on what kind of value a service business could generate? That's a great question, Mark. And in fact, I am valuing a law firm right now. And that you know, sounds fancy, but it's just a service business. And there in service business, what you want to be cognizant of is, is the value in the relationship between the partner and the client, or is the value between the relationship of the firm and the client? Mm-hmm. If the client values the firm's relationship and not the partner's, I mean, but if the client values the relationship between the firm, that firm has value. If the client values the relationship with the partner, well, then the value is going away if the partner walks away. So you better give the guy golden handcuffs. There you go. So you're saying that uh, it's still relationship, but it's the value of the firm's relationship when you're talking about the value of the business, like you yeah. said, everybody wants a personal relationship. That's great. But if you're talking about creating a monetary value to the firm's relationship. And in service business, you want to be looking for three things. In service business, I look for, does the business have automated processes to service the clients. It's not like you got to sit down and write every email or every notification for the client. You know, do you have the right checklist? Do you have the right asks that you need from clients? That's one. Two, what does your client look like? Right? It's service business is one business where the value just doesn't depend on the buyer and the seller. It also depends on the client. So what is your client mix like? Is it fairly concentrated? And the third one is, is the business situated in a rural area or urban area, right? I mean, we're not talking about horse ranches here, Mm -hmm. right? But if the business is located in an urban area, urban area, you have access to more people. More people means more potential clients. More potential clients means higher billing rates. Um, All good things. And I guess the types of service firms, uh, you mentioned a law firm, yeah, these are accounting firms, these are agencies of any kind, but yeah, valuation firms, anybody who's providing this service. And you ticked off a few things that, that are intriguing and that one of them was automated processes, you know, because on the one hand you say, oh, personal touch and everything else, but these service businesses that do have a automated, I mean, the thing runs with an engine behind it. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, by automated processes, I don't mean that you lose the personal touch with the client. By automated processes, I mean that, okay, if you want to onboard a client, you send the client a link saying that, hey, could you please put in your information and it auto-populates into your system. It's not like, you know, a secretary calls the client and says, okay, Mr. Stinson, can you please give me your home address? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, what is your social security? You know, you don't need to go through all those processes, right? You send a link. For example, you and I set up this interview using a Calendly link, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You just sent me a link. I set it up. That's an automated process. It's simple, right? So think of these auto type of automated processes just far more advanced. For example, DocuSign, right? Somebody called me today and they said, oh, I need you to sign a waiver. I'm like, okay, is this one of those waivers where you're going to send it to me in a PDF? I print it out, sign, sign, and scan and attach it and send it back to you. I'm like, He's like, no, 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 it's a DocuSign. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll sign the right. DocuSign. Otherwise, we're not doing this. Five minutes well spent. Yeah. Yes. So, Bharat, I'm also curious, as you uh, have appraised and evaluated various businesses, have you ever looked at their products? You mentioned brands, but let's say their IP, their patents. How does that contribute? How does that contribute to looking at the overall business uh, vital signs? Oh, it's very important. Um, if, if, if a business has generated intellectual property along the way of generating revenue, I mean, that's even better because intellectual property helps with that consistency in revenue. So if you've got something trademarked or if you've got copyrighted material or if you've got some trade secrets, that helps retain that consistency for a long time. And that's why IP is very important. Now, sometimes IP can be valued separately, but if I'm valuing cash flow and we're saying that, okay, that cash flow is consistent and I'm showing that cash flow to be out for five or 10 years, well, that cash flow is dependent on this IP. So the value of this IP is rolled into the value of the cash flow. I see. But if the client wants to carve out the IP separately, well, that's fine too. We can value the IP separately too. But we can only value IP if there is some kind of a monetary benefit associated with that IP. I'll give you an example. Um, I recently was approached by a cannabis company that develops CBD beverages, non-alcoholic. And they had just spent $400,000 on their new branding and logo and website and this and that. And their revenue is like 100,000 bucks. So she comes to me and they're like, oh, but my brand has so much value. We just spent 400,000. I'm like, just because you spent $400,000 on your branding, <laughs> on your website, on your marketing, doesn't mean you created $400,000 in value. Those two are very different things and mutually exclusive. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, simple, right? I mean, you, you know, you go buy a $50,000 car. Well, as soon as you pull out the curb, well, <laughs> there goes five grand. Yeah. Seriously, just no, imagine, so you true. know, throwing out $5,000 over the window as soon as you pull off the lock. Mm -hmm. So uh, just, to, yeah, I love the stories of different business people, Bharat. So what are, what are some of the creative businesses that you've been called in to put a price tag on? Um. Well, I have appraised some of the largest businesses too. Recently, Airbnb went IPO. I've appraised Airbnb. I've appraised Uber. I've appraised Uber since it was this little company, you know, $30 million. 
And then I appraise it again at 300 million. I appraise it again at 2 billion. I appraise it again at 68 billion. Um, so I have seen these companies grow and I've seen some of the mistakes these founders have made. But except, you know, when you get that big, people sort of cover up your mistakes because it's to everybody's benefit to see you successful. Mm -hmm. And a billion here and a billion there. Yeah, what's well, a billion or two between friends? <laughs> well, I mean, we laugh, but that's how many a times these conversations go. Yeah. And let's think of it from the, from the buyer's standpoint for a minute. You know, if all of these businesses that are owned by baby boomers are going to come up for sale in the next few years, is there a place for proactivity rather than waiting for the baby boomer owner to say, well, maybe it's time to retire? Should buyers be more proactive, more aggressive and, you know, go for the businesses now rather than wait? Yeah, I mean, buyers can start um, sharpening their tools. I mean, let's see, right? I mean, if baby boomers are retiring, who's going to buy those businesses? Millennials and Gen Xers. And most millennial and Gen Xers, they are used to working remotely. They're used to having flexible hours and they're used to having a regular paycheck. Let's face it, right? They're not too many of them are so adventurous as the baby boomers were maybe at some point. So yeah, I mean, they need to start looking in under the hood of these businesses and start understanding that, okay, what really is creating value? You know, there are two salons, you know, both of them clearing half a million dollars a year but one sells for $800,000 and one is not even getting a $300,000 offer. Why? Dig into that deal. Call business brokers, understand. You know, tell them that, you know, you're looking to buy a business in six months to a year. And this is the kind of business you wanna buy, something that you can um, run from Boise, Idaho, mm -hmm. right? Sitting in your pajamas with a laptop and, you know, playing catch with your dog. That's the kind of business you want to, you know, buy. Work with a business broker that you like, right? And it's to their benefit to hook you up with the right business for you. Otherwise, you know, it's not repeat business for them. And, you know, word gets around. Mm -hmm. um, and business brokers, for the most part, they try to do a good job. And, you know, if you need a referral, happy to, you know, reach out to me. I'd be happy to refer you to somebody. And have you ever seen a successful person who says, well, look, I think I just want to start my own business. And oftentimes I, I've said, well, why wouldn't you buy a business that's already going? What's the benefit of starting from scratch? I mean, have you ever weighed these and what would be your observations and counsel? Starting a business is not easy either, because when you're starting a business, you pretty much end up spending the same amount of time and money um, that you would if you were to just buy a business. Yeah, when you buy a business, you are inheriting some of the problems too. But when you're building a business from scratch, you are creating a new set of problems that you created. Those are yours. So, I mean, th th there's no right or wrong answer here, Mark. It really depends on the type of business and the type of person you are. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who likes to create something from scratch, well, then, you know, do that. If you're somebody who's good with people and then who can just get there, you know, get in and, you know, put the car in first gear and start running, well, then start with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, th th this, is, this is really a personal decision and really depends on everybody's circumstances and that type of business. 
I mean, if you're trying to open up a, you know, a French restaurant in a town which doesn't have French restaurants, well, you're going to have to start from scratch. But if something like that already exists, well, then it would be to your detriment to not look at existing businesses that are up for sale. And that makes sense. I mean, not only, I guess, competitive intelligence, you know, what's worked and what's not, but you're saying you could save some, uh, some time in the startup phase if you bought an existing enterprise. I mean, say, for example, many people get scared that, oh, my God, that business is going to cost me $100,000. Well, if you build that business from scratch, it's going to cost you $100,000. It may not just be upfront. It'll cost you $100,000 eventually. Yeah. In the blood, sweat, and tears, no matter what. Yeah, the same thing, right? You want to buy, a, you want to get a puppy? Oh, you want to go get a dog from the pound? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the dog from the pound might have some issues, but then you think puppies not going to have issues? Mm-hmm. I mean, we adopted a puppy two years ago. Holy crap, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's you right. know, sometimes I feel I should have gotten a dog from the pound. Well, you know, but that dog would have its own problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, it depends on the type of person you are. Yeah. Now, sometimes if you want to adopt a Labrador, yeah. There are a dime a dozen in the pound. Now, if you want to get a, 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 a purple French bulldog, well, they don't have too many of those at the pound. You're going to have to shell out 10 grand for one of those. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And Barab, what have you seen with partners and partnerships agreeing and disagreeing on valuation? <laughs> <laughs> that's my bread and butter. <laughs> that's the best part. Now, now we're just moving into marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'd be surprised. One time I was working on a job and, you know, I was a young punk and I was working on this litigation case and there was two partners that were disagreeing on value. Surprise, surprise. Um, say, and let's just make up numbers here. You know, one says the business is worth 10 million and one says the business is worth 20 million. So I was a young kid and I was, you know, the appraiser in the middle of it who had to sort this out. So I go to my boss and I'm like, look, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of broken up here because I can justify 10 million also and I can justify 20 million also. I mean, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Split the difference? And my boss goes, Bharat, you are not understanding a job. I'm like, what? What do you mean? And then I'm starting to look at other documents. Wait, what did I miss? What did I miss? And he goes, Brat, your job is to piss them off equally. Okay. I don't know if that helps, but okay, I'll take that. But, you know, eventually I get it that, you know, my job is really not to go on one side or the next. Like today I was doing exactly that. Um, a, a salon owner, you know, two partners, you know, one says the business is worth so-and-so, one says the business is worth so-and-so. And I looked at the business from all angles. I looked at the business saying that, okay, what is that attorney going to come at me with? And what is this attorney going to say? And I sort of weighed both options and said, okay, now that I put my valuation hat on, I can defend this more and I can defend this less. So I think this is a better way to go. So the scale tips more this way. There's no right, wrong or right answer. It just is very touchy-feely. And that's why valuation, Mark, is uh, very much a combination of art and science. Yeah. No, and as you said at the beginning, a, a bit of a black box sometimes too. Well, it's, it's, it's designed that way. Yeah, very good. <laughs> well, my guest has been Bharat Kanodia. And what a great conversation. Uh, very informative, but, you know, fun as well. And shouldn't business be profitable and fun? 
So uh, I think it's good that we were able to combine those two. Thanks for all the insights. So Barad, how can people connect with you and uh, learn more about your services? Best way to reach out to me is go to YouTube and put in my name, Barat, or What's It Worth? I have a YouTube channel where I educate everyday business owners on valuations. So check it out. Those are short videos, and we have put in a ton of research, and they are there to help everyday business owners. Yeah, I have watched some of those videos, folks. So uh, they are very informative, and I encourage you to watch them. Well, thanks again to Barack Kanodia, my guest here on Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Because folks, even if we are artists, photographers, authors, at some point, we're trying to build an enterprise. And there will come a point where you need to know the value of that enterprise. And it may be to get loans or investors, or ultimately an exit from the business, or to gain partnerships, or to merge with other companies, whatever the case might be. And I think to say, that I just want to focus on my creativity and let the business fall where it may is short-sighted. I know from my own experience, you can build a business, build all the relationships Barad is talking about, but if you also don't build those vital signs, the fundamentals of the business, then you're leaving a lot on the table in many respects. And I'm not just talking about, you know, a final offer to sell your business, but you're leaving a lot on the table experience-wise too. So Barad, thanks again for these insights and thank you listeners for coming by. Join us again on the next episode. We'll talk to another expert on our most original thinking inspiration from their experiences, and most of all, these connections and opportunities to get our work out into the world. I'm Mark Stenson. We'll talk to you next time. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Copyright 2021.